This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 593, Comic Reviews, the week of Wednesday, July 4th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 593, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, July 4th releases. Uh, This is uh, being recorded on July 11th, so just before we can say hello to all the new comics that came out on July 11th, including a reboot of Amazing Spider-Man by Nick Spencer and Ryan Obley, let's uh, take one last look at uh, the week that was. Um, So the books that came out on the 4th of July, I actually got a chance to read a handful of them. I've been trying to go back and read a lot of the books I missed between April and June, so I ended up not reading as many from July 4th. Um, So some of the books I have not had a chance to read, but at least wanted to shout them out as having new issues. Uh, The launch of the new Captain America series. Uh, We had Astonishing X-Men 13 with a new creative team. Uh, We've got the launch of Catwoman. Uh, We've got, uh, let's see, Deadpool, Death, Death of the Inhumans number one, a new issue of Deathstroke, which is part of the cross over with Batman, or at least a storyline with Batman in it, I should say. Uh, Green Lantern's 50, uh, Hunt for Wolverine, Weapon Lost, number three, uh, Immortal Hulk, number two. I actually just read issue one, so I'm excited to read issue two. It's really creepy and weird. Uh, Infinity Countdown Champions, number two. I just read issue number one this morning, actually, so I'm excited to read this. Uh, Justice League, Marvel Rising, Squirrel Girl, and Miss Marvel, uh, Nightwing, Spider-Man, Deadpool, Star Wars, The Unexpected, Weapon X, and X-Men Gold. Uh, so let's talk about what I did get a chance to read. So I got a chance to read Avengers, number four, um, which I'm enjoying, but like I don't know it's good it's not bad but I'm just it's taking me a while to kind of uh, maybe um, really get into it I don't know why I'm having such difficulty but I'm not quite into it yet Um, it's by Jason Aaron Paco Medina and Ed McGinnis uh, top flight creative team um and, you know, it had some interesting segments in here for sure and, you know, really fun, big artwork. Uh, I don't know why I felt a little disengaged, though. Um, you know, you got the Celestials. You have a, kind of a, an interesting assemblage of different characters all kind of working together. A big kind of moment with She-Hulk and, uh, with, and Thor, which was kind of interesting. Uh, some revelations about the uh, Celestials. Uh, definitely has some interesting aspects to it. I thought the ending was really interesting. I'm excited to see where they go uh, with how they left Odin at the end of the issue, but otherwise, I thought the issue kind of left me a little cold. Um, it wasn't bad; it was good. Um, the art was, I would say, better. Uh, if I was to grade the story, I'd probably give it a three out of five, and the, and the artwork probably a four. So overall, I'm going to end up giving the issue a seven. Uh, it wasn't a bad book by any means. It's, it's good. It's it's kind of it's, but I don't feel like it's really pushing the boundaries or doing anything kind of extra special with it. Um, I feel like the story of the kind of the the of the original Avengers, I think, uh, could have been could be handled a little, a little differently because it's an interesting group, and I I want to know more about it and how they kind of worked it out. And uh, I just felt there was almost too much going on here that it wasn't able to be as focused as I think it could have been uh, to tell a more concise story. Uh, next up is Batman issue number fifty, the book with a million covers. Uh, this uh, I think my favorite or one of the I, I don't have a list of all the all of them because there's so many. Um, and this definitely got a lot of people riled up and angry, um, and I, I don't think that's unfair. I think that's exactly what happened with this. Um, I am not sure how I feel about it. It's written by Tom King, artwork by Mikhail Yannon. Uh, he did the art and cover, and then there's special guests. So a lot of people did contributed their own kind of splash pages, including uh, the following. This is going to take a while. Jose Luis 
Garcia Lopez and Trish Mulvihill, uh, Becky Cloonan, Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson, Frank Miller and Alex Sinclair, Bradley Bermejo, Neil Adams and Hi-Fi, Tony S. Daniel and Tomu Mori, Amanda Connor and Paul Mounts, Raphael Albuquerque, Andy Cooper and Alex Sinclair, Tim Sale and Jose Villarubia, Paul Pope and Jose Villarubia, Mitch Garads, Gerads or Garads, uh, Clay Mann and Jordy Belair, Ty Templeton and Kieran Smith, Joel Jones and Jordy Belair, David Finch and Jordy Belair, Jim Lee, Scott Williams and Alex Sinclair, Craig Capullo and FCO plus Sania and Lee Weeks. Um, so I guess my my problem is not necessarily a problem with the issue. I, I know a lot of people are upset because, spoilers, they didn't get married. Um, and I guess what some people are upset about it because they definitely position this as, you know, this was the wedding. And usually in the past when we got, you know, big, you know, um, wedding invitations and like a big promotional deal, usually it resulted in a wedding. Now, I mean, to be fair to Tom, and this is what I've said to other people who've had an issue with it, is that I feel like Tom King tells his story he's telling, and then DC Marketing does their own thing. So if DC Marketing decides to do their own thing, um, you know, that is what they decide to do, and it's not really Tom's fault, all the amazing promotion that goes into a book like this, because uh, they promoted the heck out of this. Um, I thought it was interesting, and I guess what makes, and I haven't read X-Men 30, but I've heard about X-Men 30, and I guess what the issue there is that, you know, just kind of, they kind of pull a bait and switch, and then two other characters end up kind of being pushed into marriage instead of who you expect. Um, whereas in this book, no one gets married, and yet, to me, it felt earned, because it felt like it was part of the story. Uh, it was a very deliberate choice, um, and the characters ended up kind of getting pushed aside because of Selena kind of being told something and manipulated by Holly, and it definitely pushes her in a certain direction. So I don't mind it. What I do mind is that the issue felt very empty to me because uh, it was one of those jam issues. You know, they decided they wanted to get a ton of artists involved, and I think even more artists than on, than on Action Comics 100. Uh, sorry, uh, 1,000, one sorry. Um, and so we have a ton of different artists, but they all do these splash you know, pinups, and at the same time, you just have you know narration, uh, you know, um, complementing narration between the two characters. On one page it'll be Batman, and on another page it's Catwoman, and that's fine. It just it took me out of it because it felt like I was reading less of a story and more just like a series of stills, which is essentially what this is. Because they're not telling a story; they're just showing you shots of their you know their lives together or things they've done as Batman and Catwoman. Some in continuity, and some maybe not, like the. Um, uh, the picnic with the tigers probably not a real thing that happened, uh, but some of the other ones definitely something that did happen. So um, some of them are gorgeous. Some of them are like Tim Sale. Like it's just nice seeing his artwork and uh, beautiful. Uh, although the shot of Batman getting strung up by the the line, his head looks a little too thin. Like I don't know what happened there. That was kind of a weird perspective shot. Otherwise, like it was really nice. And the colors by Villa Rubia are so on point. Um, and really capture a long Halloween feel. Like, it just looks gorgeous. So, some, like, a lot of these pages are absolutely stunning, um, but they don't really add to the story. Um, they add to the art, but they don't add to the story. Uh, Garcia Lopez, I love his shot. I think it's one of my favorites. Um, and I even like the way he made Catwoman's body because it didn't look like a perfect body. There's, like, I don't know, something about the dimensions. It looked like a like a real woman's body. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um the Becky Cloonan thing has such a Darwin Cook kind of feel to it, but also very Cloonan. Um, there's a shot at Jason Fabok where he has uh, Catwoman in her Jim Ballant costume, and it look it's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. 
Uh, now, her breasts are maybe a little too giant and, and globy, but that's definitely how she looked when uh, Ballant was uh, illustrating her, and I think that was probably the point. Uh, so I, th- I thought artistically the issue was fantastic, but it didn't really add a lot to the actual storytelling. Um, the story itself was okay. It was, it was fine. Like, I... I get why he went that way, and I'm excited to see where we go from here. I just wish we got more of a story here. I didn't feel like I got enough of a story. Uh, I'm going to give it a 7. I, I feel like this is kind of the opposite of the previous issue, where I felt that the art was kind of bringing up a lackluster... No, actually, no, I guess I'm, I'm thinking the same, but the story itself is a little weak um, in terms of the actual scripting, uh, but this, the artwork is really good. Um, so I'm going to give it a 7. Next up is Ben Riley, Scarlet Spider, 21. This is by Peter David and Will Sliney. I really like Will on this book, and I'm glad he's on it to stay because we had some issues where he wasn't there, and they were terrible. Um, I really like this whole concept. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, see, you know, we have two different stories that are going on here. You have Sauron and Ben Riley, and that was an interesting story. You have the story with uh, Scarlet Spider, which I thought was actually really cool as well. Interested to see where they go from here. Um, you know, again, I don't know if the book knows what it wants to be. I still think that at times it feels like Peter David doesn't really know. But I thought this issue definitely moved a lot better. Um, it was a lot more enjoyable. It was more interesting. Uh, the characters, you know, the this, this storyline was a lot tighter. Um, the artwork was really good. And it told, you know, it's an, it, it should just be called Scarlet Spiders and not, you know, Ben Riley's God Spider anymore because it's an interesting kind of split book between the two characters. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was pretty enjoyable. And I would definitely uh, recommend it. And last but not least from last week, we have The Man of Steel, issue number six. Uh, it's the two big DC releases. Uh, this one has absolutely gorgeous artwork. Um, it's written by Brian Michael Bendis. And I'm just trying to look uh, for the actual creative team here. we got Jason Fabok on art. And Fabok is so good. Alex Sinclair really adding something special with his colors. Um, I don't... I guess... I like the actual story of him fighting the enemy, but it does feel like it ends up getting pretty easily solved and not even by Superman because it's Supergirl who ends up kind of ending it with the Phantom Zone projector. Um, but uh, it's an interesting kind of way to take him off the board, at least for now. The idea that, you know, really Superman loses everything uh, here because you have Kandor's gone, Supergirl takes off, you have his family, and this is where we finally find everything that happened with Lois and John and Lois and John went with, um, with Jor-El and, like, I get, I get it, but also I just I don't think it makes a lot of sense uh, why he would ever allow that to happen. And because he, you know, especially with where Jor-El was, I just don't know if I buy that as a something that would ever happen. And really, all it feels like as a reader is robbing me of one of the best things that's happened in the last two years was having Papa Superman. I loved seeing Clark was uh, was written as a true adult. As a, like as a man, and you know what I mean. Like he, he was a father. He was you know he wasn't just this you know late twenties, early thirties guy. He felt like someone in his late thirties, early forties who's still Superman, still awesome, still doing all the Superman things, but also being a parent and being a damn good one. And I thought that was so enjoyable to read. And just getting it taken away, I don't really like. Now I'm interested to see what Bendis is going to bring to the table. It just felt weird to take Lois and John off the table. However, I know. I would imagine, with a guy like Brian Michael Bendis, he doesn't do that without any reason. He's not just throwing them to the ether and saying, well, I don't want to write those characters, so I'm getting rid of them. Obviously, there's something else going on. Obviously, he's going to tell a story. Obviously, he's going to circle back to this. It's going to mean something. And the idea that Clark you know, now isn't going to be able to contact them because he doesn't have his communicator working anymore, it, it, it's going to feed a story. It's going to feed how he develops Clark and where he pushes Clark right now because Clark's going to be out of his comfort zone because his family is across the universe somewhere. He doesn't know if they're okay or what's going on. They can't get in touch 
touch with him. He can't get in touch with them. Um, it does push Clark into a place that he hasn't been, and he's really alone because we're used to seeing, you know, even if in versions where Lois does not know that he's Superman, he still has her as, as either as Clark or Superman. He usually has her to talk to. So, have we really gotten to see a Clark in like forever where he was actually alone? Um, and not just and it's one thing where you know him and Lois would split up and maybe they're then she's you know covering stories elsewhere and they're not being together. But it's another thing for sh- completely to have them in a totally loving, committed relationship and yet her to not be there looking after their son and on the other side of the universe, and he can't get in touch with them. So I'm interested to see where Bendis develops uh, Superman being alone. Um, what is Clark without his family? Um, you know, we haven't had to see that in a while, and usually he still has Lois in some fashion, but now she's gone. And But it's in a way that doesn't feel as as hackneyed. Now, it's a little hackneyed because, again, I don't really buy into the whole Jor-El one of the uh, basically take a um, page out of Aladdin's book and, you know, he just wants to show John the world. I just want to show you the world. I don't really believe that, but whatever. I guess we're just going to have to take that on face value just because that's the way that they chose to get rid of John. But it's a lot better than trying to retcon him out of existence. It's a lot better than trying to retcon a relationship out of existence or, you know, getting them, breaking them up and putting them, getting them divorced or separated. Like this is of all the different ways that you could get Clark for, for at least a short period to be solo, not necessarily like single living up the bachelor life, but just solo and operating in a different way and having to push him into an uncomfortable area uh, and having to be this way, then I think that's probably not the worst way they could have gone to do it. And uh, hopefully again, I, I trust that Brian Michael Bendis, as a writer, is going to have a plan. Typically, he does. Uh, usually, he thinks things out in advance and has an idea. Now, maybe that doesn't always felt like it was the best idea, but usually he does have some sort of plan in mind, so I'm willing to see what that plan is and that there's a reason why he's pushing this. Now, if he brings back Lois and John in the first month or two, I'm going to be like, well, that was a waste of time. But if it ends up being a while and that means something when they come back, uh, and he's going to tell a story, like an actual story that really delves into what that separation between them meant, then I think it will be worthwhile. Uh, looking at upcoming releases for the week of July 11th, some of the highlights include, let's see, uh, Disney Pixar Incredibles 2, number one, Crisis Midlife and Stories. Um, or as I got it and I brought it home for my son and my son's four and a half well, I was turning five next month and he looked at it he flipped through it and he says this isn't this isn't Incredibles 2 and I'm like well no it's stories told about the Incredibles characters after the events of Incredibles 2 he's like it's not Incredibles 2 is it Incredibles 3 and I'm like no no but that gets called Incredibles 2 but it's issue 1 and he's just so confused he's like but it's not Incredibles 2 <laughs> He just seemed very upset. Uh, some of the highlighted releases include a new uh, edition of the uh, ba- uh, trade paperback Batman Death and the Maidens. We got the uh, Detective Comics 984, Flash 50, which is a big issue, which should be part of the Flash War. Uh, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps 48, Hawkman number 2, Plastic Man number 2, Orion by Walter Simonson, trade paperback volume 1, the Justice League of America, the Silver Age, trade paperback volume 4. We got uh, Sideways number 6 already. Jeepers. Superman number 1 by Brian Michael Bendis, and I think Ivan Reyes. Uh, Reese, I don't know how to pronounce it. Titans 23, Wonder Woman 50, um, over from IDW of DuckTales number 10. Uh, you got Duck Avenger, the new Avengers, new adventures, I should say. Uh, Uncle Scrooge and Walt Disney Showcase. Uh, over at Image, you have a new issue of, of Monstrous, Dead Hand, elsewhere. You got a new book called Farmhand, which I haven't heard of before. And over at Marvel, you have Only Wolverine Trade Paperback Volume 6, Old, Man, Old Woman Laura, which I really enjoyed. Amazing Spider Man number 1, which is the big new release from Marvel this week. Uh, we have the Captain America Epic Collection, Hero or Hoax. Uh, Champions 22, Daredevil 605, Deadpool Assassin number 3. 
Domino number four, Exiles number five, the new issue of Hunt for Wolverine Adamantium Agenda. This is issue number three. Uh, with Infinity Countdown, Dark Hawk number 404, Marvel Masterworks, Captain America Hardcover, Volume 10. Uh, we've got New Mutants, Dead Souls, Nova by Abnett and Lanning, Complete Collection, Volume 1, Old Man Logan, Punisher, uh, Quicksilver, No Surrender, number 3, uh, and then a bunch of Star Wars books, Darth Vader, Dr. Aphra, Trey Paperback, Volume 3, The Rogue One Adaptation Hardcover, and The Thrawn, number 6 of 6. We've got Thor by Walter Simonson, Trey Paperback, Volume 4. It's a new printing. we got, uh, from the True Believers line, we got uh, Galactus Hunger. Hulk versus Thing, uh, two and one, and uh, versus Doctor Doom. And I actually didn't see all those when I was at the store. I think about it. I don't think I saw two and one, or maybe they did. They did. I was trying to think of which issue it was, but they did have it. Uh, and then we got. Although um, I picked up, I guess from previous weeks, so there was a Doctor Doom one, or maybe that's the one I have. Uh, Fantastic Four issue number five. It's in Doctor Doom. It's a reprint of that issue. I think that's the one. I, I bought it. I bought two of them, and I brought them home for my son. And he was like, eh, I don't know if I care. And I'm like, Zach, please read these. Because <laughs> one of them is like the first appearance of um, Doctor Doom, and the other is the wedding of Reed and Sue. So I feel like he should read those. And there's also Wolverine, Old Man Logan, Trade Paperback, Volume 7, Scarlet Samurai, X23, Number 1, and X-Men Blue 31. Thank you for joining me for this episode. You can reach me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for uh, downloading this episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.